0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Begin in verse 41. Uh, This morning, as Pastor Jody said, uh, earlier, we're putting something of a punctuation mark on our Advent series. We started by celebrating the usual stuff—the angels and the shepherds, and the and Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. This year, we decided we wanted to spend some more time after Christmas on the things that happened between Jesus' birth and his public ministry—things that don't really get a lot of airtime. So, we spent some time looking at what happened when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. Because that's what you did with firstborn sons. We looked at how Simeon and Anna responded when they saw him there. And then last week we looked at how Herod sought to kill him. We looked at the flight to Egypt and we looked at the killing of the innocents. And this week we come to what I think may be one of the strangest, oddest episodes we have recorded of Jesus. It's only found in Luke's gospel. It's not referenced anywhere else. It contains the first recorded words of Jesus and it's the only record we have of anything between uh, Jesus, those early days at the temple for his circumcision at eight days old, and the beginning of his public ministry. Let's read from Luke chapter two, beginning in f- verse forty-one. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, I pray that you would humble our hearts. Help us to see what you have us see in this passage of scripture. Make our ears and our hearts attentive to you. Let us learn from Joseph and Mary and our Savior, Jesus. Give us tender hearts. Help us to repent of sin. Help us to turn to Jesus. Help us to walk out of here this morning renewed in our commitment to living obedient lives that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by walking through this passage together this morning. Verse 41 says this, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Who knows what was required in the law of temple worship for the people of Israel? Anybody? Does anybody know why it might be significant that it says that Jesus' parents went up to the Passover every year? There were three main feasts that the people of Israel observed. They were the Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booze. What the law required was for every adult male to attend all three of those feasts But the women and the children weren't required to go. They weren't required to go because it was a hardship on them. So I want to start there. I want to stop for a moment and I want to think about what it would mean for Joseph and Mary to go up to the Passover together. Now, just for Joseph, for one man traveling alone, to get to Jerusalem from Nazareth on foot would be about a two to three day journey one way. And that's in good weather. The feast was seven days long. He was required to be there for at least two of those days. And so if he does this trip by himself, Joseph is gone for a little less than a week from his home, from his family, from his work. That's a week away from a poor family, a week away from your wife and kids, a week without work, and a week of travel expenses for a poor family. But for a family, for the whole family to go, it would have taken no less than five days on foot one way. So now we're looking at a round trip of 10 days. 10 days just traveling on the road. And like I said, the feast was seven days long. They were only required to be there for two of those seven days. But if you look at what it says, it says that Joseph and Mary, they stayed the entire time, the full number of days. So that's up to 17 days. 10 on the road, 7 in Jerusalem. And that doesn't count the time that would have gone into preparing for this. Because now instead of it just being Joseph, a guy like a guy can he can travel lightly, he can decide to get up and go, he can leave, he can go take care of business, he can come back. Mom's still there, house is in order, everything's in order, right? But this is packing up your house or packing up and taking your whole family and shutting down your house and your business. This is not light travel either. They're going to be on the road for five days. And being on the road for five days for them was not what it means for us to be on the road for five days. They're traveling by foot. They're going to have to take food. There's no fast food restaurants to stop at along the way. Often it, it, they're going to be sleeping under the stars unless they uh, have family where they can stop or they can plan their, their journey in such a way that they can stop at a village an inn, a city, and try to stay at an inn if they had money for that sort of thing. But Joseph and Mary weren't the kind of people that had money for that sort of thing. So we're talking about packing food, packing tents. This is a big deal. And then shutting everything down. Think how much easier it is if Mary stays at home. And then... On top of all of this, they're gonna be traveling with their family. We just got back from Christmas vacation. This is not just your immediate family, this is your extended family. Think of being away for 17 to 20 days with your extended family. Some of you don't know whether to laugh or not. (laughs) Does that sound like fun? For some of you, maybe maybe it does, right? But consider this. Consider if you were the embarrassment of the family. Consider if you were the ones that had that illegitimate child. And you insisted on taking him with you when you went up to the temple and you were going to stay there the full time. Think about the pressure that that would put on you. Think about the, the, the snide remarks Oh, yes, please come parade your piety before us, Joseph and Mary. Show us all how godly you are. Come, bring that baby around. That won't make anybody uncomfortable. No, you shouldn't have just made it quiet and discreet. Now, I don't want to make more of this than there was because we don't, we don't know what it was like. But we do know that Jesus' reputation as being an illegitimate son continued into his ministry. This wasn't something that went away and was swept under the rug. People didn't buy in to the virgin birth. Joseph and Mary and Jesus lived with that pressure their whole lives. They had to live by faith, among their family, among their friends. And none of it was necessary. God had made provision for them being poor and living far away. Joseph could have zipped up, zipped down, no problem. That's not what they did. Joseph and Mary were godly, they honored the Lord, they honored him together. It had to be difficult, it had to be tiring, it had to be dangerous. But God had appointed a feast for his honor and for their good. So they were going to go there together and they were gonna take their family and they were gonna celebrate it together as a family, side by side. Now, be honest with yourself. If you're in their position, what do you do? If you had to pack up your family, all your kids, spend all that time with extended family, extended family that was maybe judging you, for what you were doing every single year. Jerusalem, by the way, at the time, just to add to the pressure, saw an influx of about 200,000 people. So you're going to a place that's just overcrowded, and then you have the opportunists who are there who are setting up their booze. 100,000 sheep, Extra sheep, 100,000 extra sheep were brought into Jerusalem for the Passover to be sold at the markets on the steps of the temple to people like Joseph and Mary who couldn't afford it. And people would drive up the prices, take advantage of the situation. Don't get me wrong, it was a feast, it was a family reunion, there were lots of things for lots of people to look forward to probably lots of things for Joseph and Mary and Jesus to look forward to outside of the worship of God. But I want us to think honestly for a minute about ourselves. It cost us almost nothing to be here this morning. We had to de-ice our cars. That's it. At our last elders meeting, uh, Bob Sands read this passage of scripture from Malachi 1 for his devotion. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? God demands our first fruits. He is our father and our master. He demands our very best. He demands that we come into his presence cheerfully, with joy. Joseph and Mary went to the house of God together as a family. And they took the Passover meal together as a family It was their commitment, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice. Because making sacrifices for God is what men are made for anyway. That's the point of the feast. They're there to sacrifice. They're there to present themselves to God, their lives, everything they have. What more was it to them to spend a couple extra days he was their father and master. Now, we're here this morning, presumably because we love God and we want to be here with His people, right? Think about the ways that we all found it a hardship, one way or another, to gather this morning. Think about your grumbling over the ice and the cold. Think about the things in your weaker moments that you'd rather be doing or the ways that you avoid being here after the service ends one minute longer than you have to be with the people of God, the ways that you avoid small group or leave as soon as you can, reasons you give for avoiding Bible study or youth group or Awana. Think of all the things in your life that you place above gathering with the people of God that you would rather look forward to. Consider Joseph and Mary. Let's move on. When he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Jesus was 12 years old. Uh, anybody here ever been to a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah? Handful of people. I think, how many of you said that you've been to? 13. I grew up about the same distance from a Jewish synagogue uh, Lots of them are called temples nowadays. As the crumbs and the tuckers live from this building right over back in this neighborhood. I had a handful of Jewish friends. I've been to a handful of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. I think more bat mitzvahs than bar mitzvahs. It's pretty weird, right? I don't know why. Um, now, a bar mitzvah is a Jewish coming of age ceremony or celebration. It happens the bat mitzvah is a relatively new thing. It happens for a girl when she turns 12. For a boy, it happens when he turns 13. Most of the traditions or ceremonies that we know from uh, bar mitzvah would have developed more recently, but the ceremonies are rooted in a tradition that goes all the way back before the time of Jesus. So it's not an accident that Luke records here that Jesus was 12 years old. Bar mitzvah means son of the commandment or son of the law. It's when a boy becomes fully accountable before, to fulfill his duties as a child of the covenant. He becomes a fully legal adult male. He is responsible to, be, to fulfill the law of God himself. And traditionally, it means he's also able to marry and to hold property. 13 years old. Now, starting at about the age of 12, a boy begins to train for this. He'd begin learning to fast so that when he turned 13, he'd be able to fast for the Day of Atonement. He'd begin attending prayer services and the public reading of Scripture at the synagogue. Today, you'd go to Hebrew school. Jesus wouldn't have had that. He would have had the school of Joseph and Mary. At the same time as this was going on, because he was preparing for manhood, he'd be preparing for a trade. He'd be preparing to take on his father's trade. He'd be learning the ins and outs of his father's business because he's going to become a legal adult male. So there's a lot going on with 12-year-old Jesus right now. He's somewhere in this transition period where the lines are being blurred between childhood and adulthood. He's beginning to learn his father's business. How to swing a hammer. He's learning how to engage with God's word in the synagogues. He's learning how to fast. He's moving away from being a child. He's preparing to step forward as a man. These are his first steps. And it comes to bear in this story in a couple of different ways, as we'll see. But let me just ask how many of you here are in that age range? 11, 12, 13 years old, 14? Show of hands. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Okay. I want you guys to track with what's going on here and to pay attention. Jesus is about to become a man. I want you to watch closely what he does and why. Makes you think, doesn't it? Moms and dads makes you think, right? How many of you have 12 year olds, 13 year olds? My oldest is nine, getting close. We'll come back to this, but we're gonna keep going in the passage first. As they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Now, how many of you have ever asked the question, how on earth does this happen? (laughs) How does Jesus get left behind? How is it that nobody notices for a whole day? We've all read that passage and wondered at some point, right? The first reason, and we'll come back to this, is that Jesus didn't get lost or left behind. Jesus stayed behind. He did it on purpose. He knew what he was doing. But that doesn't excuse the fact that what in the world happened with Joseph and Mary, right? This is Jesus. This is Joseph and Mary. I was just talking about how godly they were. And they left their 12-year-old son behind in Jerusalem for a whole day. While they were on the road. How does that happen? Well, let's think about it. Remember, there are 200,000 extra people in Jerusalem for the feast and the feast just ended and the roads were busy. Feast ended. 200,000 people, now some of them had already left, but a lot of them, they're all leaving at once, right? And so you say, okay, fine, the roads are busy. I would be a little more careful than to keep track of my kids if the roads were busy. Yeah, but they were in a caravan. It says they were in a caravan. Big group of family and friends on a very busy, crowded road. Jesus is 12 years old. Joseph and Mary had other kids by now, certainly. Smaller kids, kids that needed to be taken care of. They're with friends and family, friends and family that was trusted. And Jesus was transitioning into becoming a man. He's 12 years old. He's going to be 13. Like, in a couple months, he's going to be legally able to marry. They didn't need to keep track of Jesus. They trusted him. He could be trusted. He was responsible. I'm going to go so far as to say that the sinless son of God was a child who had good character. <laughs> Even if parents weren't as helicoptery as they are now, and they weren't, and you should probably be rebuked by that, some of you. They had Jesus for a son. They had other little kids to attend to. They weren't worried about him. Jesus was probably a really interesting kid. Son of God. Pretty interesting. Godly people are truly godly people, not fake godly people. Fake godly people are boring. Jesus was godly. His whole life in ministry, people probably wanted to be around him. I wouldn't have thought anything. I don't think you would have thought anything if his cousins, his aunts, his uncles, whoever wanted to spend time with him, if he was out with them or off with them somewhere. And then it gets more complicated because there's good reason to believe that the men and the women traveled separately. The women went ahead with the children the men stayed back and traveled separately but which was jesus exactly was he a child or was he a man he's in this transit he's 12 years old he's transitioning into this new state he's getting these new privileges those new privileges and responsibilities come at the discretion of the father you can imagine maybe just maybe jesus went up to, uh, from nazareth to jerusalem with mom The kids, maybe they talked about it when they got there. Maybe they talked about whether or not Joseph or Jesus should go back with the men. Good first step. You can imagine, all right. The women and the children are gathered together, and Mary's looking around, and Jesus isn't there. And she, she smiles and she thinks, Joseph decided to take him. He's growing up. Kind of sad. Might cry a little. Good husband. Good father. To make him, raise him up to be a good man, okay? Then you can flip over to the, to the camp of the men, the men camp, the man camp. That's what I would call it. And, and, and you can imagine Joseph, and you can even tell, imagine Joseph telling Jesus, look, you can go with your mom, you can go with me. I don't care, or whatever. But Jesus isn't there, and he looks, and he thinks, good. It's a good son. He's gonna be with his mom, last trip, be good for her. Something like that. And then they spend a day on the road and then they get to wherever they're gonna stop and they come together and have this I thought he was with you moment. <laughs> it's never happened to you, huh? <laughs> He's gone. And they can't find him. And if your parents, you know how that feels if you have turned your head for ten seconds in a grocery store, right? That much, you have an idea. To check with all their relatives, all their family, the whole camp where they stopped, he's nowhere to be found. So they head back against the flow of traffic to Jerusalem, hoping against hope they'd find him. They make it back, they're searching. You can imagine how they must have felt, how grieved they were, how desperate. Three days pass. Let's keep reading. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking him questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. So after three days, they find him where? Where do they find him? In church. They found him in church at a Bible study. Now listen, every one of you raised your hands earlier. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Listen and pay attention. For three or four days, Jesus was out of sight of his parents, completely out of their sight. They weren't around. I want you to imagine yourself in his shoes set aside for a minute the idea that, oh, I might be scared of being in a big city. I don't know where I'm going to sleep, what I'm going to eat. Imagine that this is vacation. Vacation that you go, you go on vacation every year. Imagine you go to vacation to the same spot or you go visit grandma and grandpa. Okay? A lot of you, a good number of you go up to Michigan for vacation every year. Think about that. Think about being in the same place every year for over a week. You've come to the end of that week, you're familiar, you're comfortable, lots of cool stuff going on around town, lots of fun things to do. And your parents suddenly are gone and you're there by yourself. You can do whatever you want to do. Mom and dad aren't looking. Can you be trusted? Can you be trusted? Well mom and the dad aren't there looking over your shoulder to do the right thing, to not get into trouble? I already said it and I'll say it again. I think Jesus was probably trusted, right? He was trusted. I don't think Mary and Joseph were worried at all about getting him getting into trouble. How sweet it must have been for Mary and Joseph to not have to worry about Jesus getting into trouble. Oh, they had other things to worry about. They were worried that he was hurt, that he might have died, that he might have been taken by somebody. They were worried for his safety. But They did not have to worry about him. I was once a 12-year-old boy, as it turns out. I was allowed to hop on my bike, go where I wanted to go. I know what 12-year-old boys do when they think no one's looking. I know better than lots of you. First time I ever had handcuffs placed on me, I was 11. And it wasn't the first or last time my friends and I deserved them. It was just the only time we got caught. Now, you may not think that you've ever done anything or ever would do anything to deserve getting handcuffs placed on you, but I only say that to let you know I know what 12-year-old boys are like. When nobody's looking. My parents thought I was a good kid. I wasn't actually known as a troublemaker. Now, how many of you got to spend a lot of time alone these past couple days? Sledding, in the woods, making snowmen? Were you the kinds of young men and young women that your parents can trust with their backs turned? Are you the kind of young man or the kind of young woman that can be trusted when they're gone for an afternoon or an evening or a day. Jesus was alone for days and when Mary and Joseph found him, he was at church, a Bible study, sitting in the midst of Bible teachers, hearing what they had to say and asking them questions. Now, I am not telling you to become a goody two-shoes who has no fun and just reads the Bible all day. But I want you to think about this. Your time as a child is passing, and in most times and places, you would be considered young men and young women. And that is what you are. Jesus was wise. He went to the wise. He did not play the fool. He did not play the child. He played the man. Before life gets hard, while your memories are fresh and strong, give yourselves early to the things of God. Be trustworthy. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Bold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So now, they found Jesus in the temple and you can imagine the relief. First, they're just glad he's alive. Probably tears. Even though they trusted in his character, they were still relieved that he wasn't in any kind of trouble can imagine that, right? And somewhere in the midst of all that, Mary remembers herself. Why did you do this to us? Don't you understand how afraid we were? Now, valid question, right? Raise your hand if you're a mother and you can relate to Mary wanting to ask that kind of a question, if you sympathize. Raise your hand if you're a dad and like me, you have a pretty good idea why Joseph's words were not recorded in Holy Scripture. (laughs) And then when Jesus responds to his mother, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know how to be about my father's business? I hope you don't think I'm impious when I say that I have never approved of Jesus saying that to his parents. Why were we looking for you? Because you were lost. (laughs) Because you're 12 years old. You've been alone in a big city for three days. We thought you were dead. That's why we were looking for you. Your father's house is in Nazareth. Joseph's a better man than me and you. He probably... Didn't say any of the things that we would have said. He's probably used to some weird things with Jesus by now. Remember, Jesus was 12 years old. And that meant he was becoming a man. And that meant he was becoming a son of the law. And he was about to take on the full weight and responsibility of manhood. And he was going to begin preparing in earnest for the work that his heavenly father had for him. And that wasn't swinging a hammer. He was coming of age and he wanted to make it clear to everyone that he was not theirs. He belonged to his heavenly father. He had other work, other business to be about, a house to protect and to build. And they should have known better. They should have felt that pressure. They should have expected him at this time in his life, to really begin preparing for it in earnest. So he went to the temple. He went to his father's house to be about his father's business and engaged with the teachers of the law. Now, every commentator on this passage makes this a really sweet thing and it gets really kind of hazy and misty and glowy. Jesus humbly seeking to learn from wise men as a boy, as a supplicant, everybody's sort of like amazed. It's like a Renaissance painting. And, and everybody does this. Everybody except for one person. You can imagine who it was. (laughs) But I mean everybody. I mean J.C. Ryle. I mean, but then there's John Calvin. And uh, John Calvin thinks differently than most people. Uh, He doesn't think these guys are so wise, actually. He doesn't see this moment as Jesus sitting quite so meekly underneath their teaching. He thinks these are the very same men that are going to put Jesus to death about 20 years later. He thinks they're the same men that Jesus is going to attack and pronounce his woes upon. He thinks they're proud and wicked men. He thinks that the point of Jesus going to the temple was as much to put them on notice as anything. To let them know their time was almost up. Just as he had let his parents know Calvin thinks he was there to let them know that he was coming for them. That he had been watching. He'd been coming to his father's house for the feast for year after year after year. He'd watched their teaching. He'd watched it turn into a den of thieves. He'd seen perhaps Joseph and his mother Mary be swindled by upcharging and greedy men. He couldn't wait. He was counting the days until he'd get to come with a whip in his hand and drive out the money changers. And he wanted them to know that if he wanted to, at 12 years old, he could embarrass and humiliate them and take them down publicly right then and there. Yes, Jesus was a submissive son. Yes, he was humble in how he disputed with the rabbis, but they would have felt the fire. But whether or not you agree with Calvin, this is not a lot. <laughs> Calvin's taking some steps there, right? One thing is absolutely clear. Jesus knew what he was about. He was about his father's business. It's what house, it says, I had to be in my father's house. A lot of the commentators say, better translated, maybe he has to be about his father's business, which I think is the King James. They both encompass the other. Jesus came to save his people and he was going to take every measure to be prepared for that work when it came he wanted to know that things were not, he wanted everyone to know things were not going to go the way that they thought is this the Jesus that you worship is this the Jesus that you submit yourself to do you love this Jesus okay now mom and dad Have you been thinking of ways you need to be more like Mary and Joseph? The ways you need to be leading and preparing your kids for an adulthood that honors God, does his work. Thinking of the ways you need to bring yourself to God and lead your families in his worship and in his service with joy. Making it clear to everyone that he is your father and master. The first fruits of your lives are his. kids, young men and women, have you been thinking about becoming men and women? About following Jesus' example. Let's think just one more minute about this. Here is 12-year-old Jesus, and he's studying the Bible with the teachers of the law. Whether or not they're good teachers doesn't matter. He's studying the Bible. We don't see Jesus again for years. But do you know what his very next recorded words are in Luke? He's in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. What does he say? He quotes the Bible three times. And then after that, in Luke, the very next thing we see from Jesus, he's reading the Bible in the synagogue out loud. first four times, Jesus opens his mouth after this recorded in Luke. He's quoting the Bible. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying for your sins and mine, do you remember what he did? He quoted the Bible. When he was raised from the dead after three days of people having no idea what happened to him, let the listener understand, what did he do? Well, he found some disciples on the road to Emmaus looking sad and he found that they didn't understand the Bible. So he said to them, just a lot like he said to Joseph, why are you looking for me? Don't you know? He said, oh foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the passage continues, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus taught them the Bible. Now, your job is not to grow up into the savior of the world, but your job is to become like him. Will you be trustworthy? Will you seek the things of God? Will you give yourselves while you're young and your memories are strong to studying the Bible? Let me tell you something, a secret all adults share. It's harder for us It's harder for me to memorize and remember things now than it's ever been. I remember being your age, being in sixth grade, and I remember sitting in uh, Mrs. Carver's history class and memorizing the Gettysburg Address in one sitting at the end of class, and I can still quote it today. That's all the work I put into it. I was your age. You gave me something like that now, I don't know how long it would take. (laughs) It'd feel impossible. That's true of every adult. Our minds work differently now. Our minds have changed. We're not in the place of preparation. We're doing the work we prepared ourselves to do when we were your age and some of us did not prepare as well as others. You're in a time of preparation and God has given you minds that are perfect for that work. And you are preparing yourselves right now for something whether you know it or not. What you give yourselves to now will have consequences for good or ill for the rest of your lives. Be like Jesus. Prepare yourselves to become men and women of God. Let's pray.